Welcome to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. And today we have our November 22nd show. Yeah, that's right. Uh, before we begin, where are we broadcasting from? The unceded uh, territories, UBC, CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. We can't forget that one. That's right. <laughs> um, so today, actually, we've got some very good stuff for you. And uh, we want to kick it off with an interview with Wendy Yao Sam Chung. Is that correct? And... Uh, Rod Chow from Seasons, a show which is uh, debuting this week uh, at uh, 777 Homer Street. And I love that address because it's set three lucky numbers and a Greek poet, <laughs> which is the um, – I actually do not remember the theater. That's, that's, that's the center. That's, that's the center. Okay, that's – Easy enough to say. And uh, can you give us a quick rundown of, as to what the show is about? We And also introduce yourself to our audience, please. Well, thank you, Jake. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, you, I think you got my Chinese name pretty good, bang on. <laughs> uh, it's Yao Sam, means with heart. And I'm a writer, composer, songwriter um, back in Asia, and I'm back in Vancouver, uh, my favorite place of all times, uh, to do this concert with um, uh, award-winning illusionist Rod Chow. Hi, everyone. My name is Rod Chow, and I'm really glad to be here, and I hope you all can make it to see our show. It's going to be a lot of crazy magic and very amazing stuff and stunning illusions. <laughs> So uh, this has been described as a childhood dream uh, for both of you. And uh, I was wondering if you could un unpack that one a little bit, because it is a coming-of-age story uh, about this character, Faith. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jake, for asking that great question. Because, um, you know, I'm here at UBC, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's bringing back memories. Because I actually graduated here back in the day. Okay, I'm not going to tell you what, uh, <laughs> what year. year. What year. <laughs> but I guess um, it's a long time ago. And I... Uh, being a graduate of uh, alumni of UBC music program, I did um, take on a career of uh, writing music. And mm -hmm. because the fact that um, the story about Faith is kind of a resemblance of my life story, where she grows up with music talents and has cultivated um, a dream of wanting to be uh, a writer. But then as she grows up, she finds that actually life is not that beautiful after all, is that there's a lot of stress and there's work and family and a lot of societal expectations to boil down to a mental breakdown. And through that challenges, um, through that period of time, she actually luckily meet up with a custodian, park caretaker, mm -hmm. which is disguised as a magician. Um, and Rod... Uh, is one of the cast, mm -hmm. um, and through the four seasons, that's why it's called seasons, because we, we actually go through spring, summer, fall, and winter. Uh, each of these seasons, we have a different illusion to wow the audience so that they can actually see the changes that happen, and also the philosoph uh, philosophy, because through the breakdown and uplifting faith, which is the main character, to the enlightenment, uh, I find that through the display of performing arts, whether it's drama, music, acting, and this time with the uh, element of magic, will actually change the perspective of how we see things. And that's one of the points that I want to make, is that sometimes we see things on a daily basis and we miss other things. And mm -hmm. by bringing magic in, and when I use magic, it's a very loose term, because the magic in us is our inspiration, our hopes and dreams. And uh, you know, of course, you have to come to see the ending of it. But through Four Seasons, we're actually having really great orchestra music, which is um, played by the VMO, Vancouver Metropolitan Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have um, stunning illusions um, designed by Rachel himself. Yes, it's, um, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, 
It's actually something you, you've never seen before because we're actually performing illusions uh, with the live symphony orchestra in the background. Yep. And yep. it's all original music too. So it's not like stuff that you've heard before that normally you see on YouTube. This is like all original stuff. So you really, uh, it's all about live show. So you're going to see a live show, uh, everything composed by Wendy. And the music is like really mesmerizing. And even just to listen to the music and then watch the visuals, it's going to be like something that is going to be really memorable for everyone. So I, I got to ask, with this being a show that is very musical, but also based on uh, st magic, which is a very stage-oriented art, would this, would this be more of a concert, more of a magic show, more of a theater piece? What specifically are you watching when you sit down to see this? All of the above. <laughs> it's a, such a well-rounded, and the uh, challenge this time is that we, we want to integrate all forms of performing arts. Uh, mm -hmm. which is rare because you're only going to see like maybe a play or you can see a concert or maybe a magic show by itself. But we integrated yeah. all five elements into one show to give the full round um, sensory experience mm -hmm. to the, our audience. And this is never done before. And when have you ever seen an orchestra played with a magician? Never. At least I haven't, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it's... Um, a fairly unique concept, um, and we're just trying to have a breakthrough uh, for ourselves and mm -hmm. uh, for our art. One yeah. thing I really liked about what you mentioned with all these different elements is that element of liveness and the element of actually being there in the audience. Like with a magic show, when you see it on like TV as when you actually see it in person, it's very different. And for the listeners who don't know, we actually had um, a bit of a, a magic uh, show before the uh, before this show, and it really just astounded me. Like, whoa, I can't believe it. I'm right there. I'm watching it, yeah. but it still feels really unreal. And same thing with live music. You hear a recording, but when you actually see the people who are uh, playing the music in front of you, that also gives a sense of like, wow, there is a human attached to the art that I can see happening. So I think it's really awesome that you're bringing all these different perform like performance styles really to one stage so people can feel the artist also you know, behind the art. How did this pairing come about exactly mm -hmm. uh, between you two to create this show? Like who contacted who? Okay, well, I, I started off uh, talking my, to my stro Ken Shea, which is the conductor of the VMO. And uh, we uh, were saying that we're going to collaborate and, and create a concert. And at that time, he's flying all over the world, and mm -hmm. uh, he's very busy, as we all know. And then I started off with a storyline, uh, writing the faith story uh, of um, a little girl growing up. And, and actually, it's kind of a, a resemble of my own story. I think that's how we kind of write, is with our own experiences. Mm -hmm. So we actually put some real feelings into it. And then I was just thinking, okay, we got the orchestra, we got the drama and the dance. Um, what would make this show the best possible? Because I really want to have a production value um, show where I can really bring um, mm -hmm. uh, my, I guess, my standards. And I, being um, a Virgo, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so many um, uh, of my previous uh, co colleagues that I've worked with in Asia, I have a really high standard. And I, I was thinking, okay, what can I really bring the wow factor into the show? And then one night I was watching um, America's Got Talent, mm -hmm. and I thought, wow, I got it. The light bulb came on. It's magic. I got it. And so I was jumping <laughs> up and down. And I was like, oh, well, um, Okay, but do I know any magician? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was selecting my Rolodex, and I said, no, I don't know anybody. And then I started to uh, search for someone that I would think would be the best person for the show, which uh, I really, um, I think I lucked out um, incredibly because uh, there's a lot of magicians that are either not local, um, and they are doing very different things. And this time, um, somehow, I think it's fate that mm -hmm. brought me to Rod. Uh, and he's such a gracious person. He's very generous, very very kind, and, and such a great magician. He's won like uh, numerous awards around the world, and um, he has a PhD in magic. <laughs> I didn't know it existed. <laughs> so I think I, I think I, I want to really to thank him so much for uh, coming on as co-producing this show. Um, yeah, Rod, thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Thanks. I'll, I'll do it on me. air. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to thank you for bringing me into this because um, mm -hmm. and this is a once in a lifetime experience. 
uh, for myself as well to be on the big stage. And, and the center is really the big stage. Uh, it's an 1800 seat theater. Yeah, yeah, it's a big theater. Right? Yeah, it's a big theater. And uh, we're performing with uh, uh, dancers, uh, a whole cast of dancers, and and we're doing huge illusions. Like uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, before the show, we did some close-up magic with yeah, you. Yeah. That, was, that was crazy. I was kind of like, yeah. uh, for the listeners who don't know, uh, Rod here actually showed us a card trick, but not with just regular playing cards. They're like emoji cards, which are really cool and also very relevant to my generation. Yes. <laughs> and luckily, T.J. Miller was nowhere to be seen. No, none of that emoji movie kind of, you know, <laughs> yes. But it was really cool how you, how you did it right in front of our eyes. I was looking at my card the entire time, and I was really, I, I swore to myself, like, you know what? I don't think this is my card. No way. I, I don't think so. And Jake had it. I was able to successfully send my quote-unquote emoji to Jake, and Jake was able to send his to mine. Because you said you didn't see your emoji on, like, the... The little screen there, right? No, no, no. I didn't. Like it was like it flipped up. It was it was a, a crowning feat of prestidigitation. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was amazing, and you guys really are compatible. I have to say. Thank <laughs> so you. That was Thank great. you. But so, so that's like a small scale. Yeah. I really am looking forward to what you. Uh, so can if do, you multiply sir. that by a thousand times, yeah. this is what you're going to see in the show. You're going to see large scale illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see um, things where people vanish in midair. You wow. can see that. You can see where people even get uh, cut up. Uh, you're going <laughs> to see uh, uh, totally different things that you've never been seen before. So changes, uh, mm-hmm. transformations, all sorts of things. So and again, set to live orchestra mu- music, too, which is going to be, I think, a really thrilling, like, you know, human feat. Like, people can see, you know, people really creating something extraordinary. It is. It's going to be like watching a movie live. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got a question about that regarding the magic, because uh, a magic show is a very specific uh, tradition of showmanship and uh, it you really sort of have to you kind of have to build up a story behind each trick because there's a very specific routine to get it to to work and to put on this very impressive spectacle for you was the scale of that um, was that a challenge was that part of the appeal how do you approach that yeah so that's so for this actually production is actually totally different so normally mm-hmm. I would be standing out there and performing for an entire audience and uh, getting applause by doing every magic effect I can do at that, at the, within that period of time uh, this one here uh, the challenge was to integrate the magic into the storyline mm-hmm. so everything has to make sense it's can't, I can't be doing a magic show there I have to do magic because there's a reason for doing it there's a reason for helping our star character uh, develop her character to become uh, bring back her uh, her uh, mojo her loss of the of, of the music and mm-hmm. have her uh, gain regain confidence. So all this is all on a journey. It's a journey, a magical journey uh, through time, Literally. and it's, uh, it's and then along along this journey, uh, uh, tons of magical effects do happen that um, people will experience together with us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, and uh, bef- uh, before we have a word from our sponsor, we do want to say we have two tickets. Yep. To the show uh, for, I believe... For our listeners. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. For, for you. We love you out there, wherever mm-hmm. you are. And at, it, this show, it starts on November uh, 25th, mm-hmm. right, at 8 p.m. at the center, 777 Homer Street. It, again, sounds really great. Large venue, bound to be a showstopper, to be honest. From what I saw in, like, a, from what I'm seeing mm-hmm. in the pictures, from what I'm listening to, it sounds amazing. You have so much different talent all together on one stage. I feel like it's almost a steal to, you know, give like a give the tickets away. Well, uh, there's also another steal going. There's a two for one deal, right? That's right. Ticketmaster. Absolutely. Actually, just announced today, um, and we knew we could come on the show. We said, okay, let's make something special for the radio listeners of CITR, and let's do a two for one deal. So all you have to do is go on to uh, uh, Ticketmaster CA, look for Seasons and Magical Musical, and then this deal will, well, it's actually just released, so it should pop up now. Two for one on the tickets, and that's uh, really unheard of. So you can take your partner and pay the price of just um, uh, one person. And if you'd like to check out these comps, call in during our commercial breaks, which will be coming up right next, and then a little farther down the line of the show. Mm -hmm. So if you are interested in the tickets, it is 604-UBC-CITR. That's 604-822-2487. And before we uh, conclude our interview, is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, any future projects that you two might have? Actually, I just want to ask one question before that. This being called The Four Seasons, is there any Vivaldi in there? I was is there going any to ask, but it's original music. kind of killing me a little bit. I was bit. going like, to ask, though, to be yeah, honest. Just... Any influence from Vivaldi? Um, well, I always dreamt that one day I'll write a Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that's happening to me to this year of creating the show 
uh, is something I always want to do as a child. And I, I believe that if we all have a dream, uh, in due time, we will always reach where we want to go and reach our goal as long as we persist and keep going and never lose hope and keep it an eye on it and keep keep going and and even though even though there's sometimes we lose hope or we have we have self-doubt and and so forth but i i just think that um in terms of like uh the four seasons i i always wanted to write my own and this is uh, my showcase of uh, what i gather through all the classical years of studying at ubc <laughs> <laughs> what can i come up with now and this is what it is so if you want to just hear my music uh, this is your chance yeah considering exam season that's a pretty helpful Mm-hmm. And this interview, um, what else you guys got going on? If 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 we see this and we're like, man, we got to get more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, the great thing about this time around is that we really have a good structure. So even if let's say we decided to go and. Uh, rerun the show the magic can be different on each time mm-hmm. and we have different surprises for our audience um i mean working with rod we really i learned a lot and i feel that um we we have a good chemistry going with uh, our big cast we have uh the the orchestra and also maybe one day we can collaborate with ubc or sfu um mm-hmm. more more of a um a community um, like performing arts I, I find that that's a very important element of being a musician is to be able to give back to people that are um, are local, mm-hmm. and then if you really want to support uh, performing arts for in Vancouver, then come out and support your fellow classmates and people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's important. Um, but you know, what about yes, yeah, when and, 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 yeah. Well, I also uh, mm-hmm. just so you know, I'm also alumni of UBC. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. In commerce, so I'm a BCom MBA. I so, was going to say, do yeah. we have degrees in magic at UBC? <laughs> <laughs> that particular degree, uh, the PhD, is actually one that I learned uh, in New York, and mm-hmm. it's um, it's one very special one that only the top magicians in the world get to actually be part of, and so I'm really proud to have that actual designation from over there. Impressive. Anyway, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, with uh, Wendy Yasun Chung, mm-hmm. right, and Rod Chow. Thank you so much. You You're guys welcome. are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, The Arts Report. We'll be back after these messages. Hey there. This ad caught your attention. It also caught the attention of the coolest people from Squamish to Bellingham. Music fans, students, and members of various cultural communities. If you want your ad to do the same, advertise with CITR and Discorder. If you've got a rad new ad or just something you want to share, whether in print, on air, or online, promote your wares, services, or events with us. Contact us at advertising at citr.ca or call 604-822-4342. Visit citr.ca for rates, information, and packages. This is the end of our ad, and if you're still here, we must be doing something right. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. <laughs> She'll make a lovely doll after I finish with you. I told you your webs were useless. It's, it's too hot. It's too hot. Something must have hit the control lever. Turn it off. Want to save energy and keep yourself comfortable? Turn down your thermostat one degree Celsius or consider installing a programmable thermostat. If every household in BC with electric space heating turned down their heat by one degree for eight hours a day, it would save enough electricity to power Science World for over 75 years. This Power Smart Play brought to you by BC Hydro Power Smart and CITR 101.9 FM. Let's 
THRN Disorders Shindig is back for the 34th year and is hosted at Hastings Mill Brewing Company, formerly known as Pat's Pub, every Tuesday night. We've curated a spicy roster of local musicians, and there are 27 bands, 27 winners, but someone has to take home the Shindig Windig crown from last year's champ, Little Sprout. Come watch bands jam out, have fun, and battle it out for some rad prizes provided by our sponsors. Sierra Fox Postering, Nimbus Recording, Cannery Brewery, Pandora's Box, Fader Master Studios, Rain City Recorders, Mint Records, Music Waste, Live from Thunderbird Radio Hell, Six Cent Press, Blue Light Studios, Hastings Mill Brewery, Print Print. So come out to Pat's Pub November 28th for Singles Night to see King Buzzard, Mushy Face, and These Guy. of the bands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, uh, Shindig's a fun time. It's, uh, it's we, a really, really fun time. Yeah. What's also a fun time? This show, The Arts Report, on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded uh, territory in Musqueam here at UBC. Point three, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I actually had a surprisingly good time at... Uh, it's, it's rare that you see... A, uh, now, I, I mean nothing by this, but it's rare that you see that Iranian romantic comedy... Mm-hmm. is a very rare thing to say. And I was really delighted to see it in action at Italia Italia on Thursday. Um, and this was at the uh, Van City Theater, courtesy of um, Persian Film Association, Iranian Film Association. Mm-hmm. And there's a Didar, there's their celebration. It's sort of a meetup for the Iranian community in April. And they had a uh, commercial for that before the film. And it was interesting because it's very colorful. It's, it's, uh, it's a very... Be dangerous for an epileptic commercial. Really? <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed like a blast. Um, and uh, it looked like the '90s for the. You ever see the '90s Doctor Moreau movie with Marlon Brando? It looked like the credits for that, but cheerful. <laughs> but cheerful. Yeah. Um, so th- I liked the movie a lot, and mm-hmm. this Could you is, tell us about the plot of the movie. So the plot of the movie it's uh, it's 500 Days of Summer. Okay. Uh, in meets Eric Romer, basically. Okay. Uh, in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it centers around this character. Um, I'm just trying to get the cast list. My handwriting is atrocious. But um, it centers around this character, if I can read correctly, N- Nader. Nader? Nader? Nadir? Uh, uh, not, it's E-R, not I-R. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's Iran, not India. But, Nader, uh, Renan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is Nader? Who is... He is a, a teacher of Italian. His degrees in Italian history. He translates Italian for mm-hmm. um, for for, uh, for uh, like uh, well, various things. Like he he's publishes books mm-hmm. on Italian history. He teaches it. He's sort of a jack of all trades in this regard. And it's he has this romance that starts when he's called to work on a film. Okay. And he falls for the AD Barfa. Okay. And she's she's like a getter done. Sort of personality, mm-hmm. and they 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 hit it off. It's 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 really cute the story how they get together, and the interesting thing is that I have seen very few movies that have the amount of references this movie has, um, <laughs> to various things. This this movie had a lot of references to Italian culture, especially to a lot of music. Like the first thing, um, the first things you see in the movie are. A Doors sticker on as well. Barfa likes the Doors, okay. uh, and uh, a James Bond soundtrack on vinyl because he's a Bond fanboy. Okay. And you see objects in his house like uh, tomatoes, garlic, and lettuce arranged in the colors of the Italian flag. Okay. So that was already really endearing, uh, mm-hmm. and the movie is itself. It, the reason it has a lot in common with Eric Romare is that. Um, Would you say like stylistically? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that the reason is that in Iran. The censorship is pretty hardcore, and you can't. Uh, Romare's films, I think I remember this, had this oddly asexual vibe. Not maybe not asexual is not the right word, but they Was it very, very sterile vibe. No, no, not not sterile. Okay. Um, because they were deeply humanistic, and so is this film. But they can't portray it. They can't portray mm. it. They can portray the consequence, but they can't portray it itself, or they won't. And the the thing about this is that this film did not seem forced in that regard. Okay. Because. Uh, I do want to say this. This film is not completely cheerful because even the Iranian romantic comedy has a plot around a miscarriage. Okay. Um, spoiler. Slightly. Uh, happens right in the middle of the film. And uh, 
and before that is this really sweet comedy, and there are comedic moments after that, but the tone changes quite mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. But it is really interesting in that, genre aside, this is an excellent movie about a relationship between two people who grow to love each other and grow to know about each other and who are from very specific places. And that's the thing about this. I Watching this in the subtitles, because I do not speak Farsi, mm-hmm. um, I believe it's Farsi, uh, I realized that I was missing a lot of uh, context, and especially the wordplay between words that sound alike, which I could recognize, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't, you know, because I don't, don't speak the language, don't know the implication of it. Yep. Similarly, they, they share stories of where they're from, specifically in Iran, and about the uh, really these things that one who would be immersed in. It was a sense that really, this film really conveyed the sense of what it was about. It conveyed the sense of this world. Mm-hmm. And that is unique to me because I don't see that very often in uh, in a lot of more serious films. And I suspect yeah. the reason for that is that is mass appeal, is mass marketing, mm-hmm. because specificity makes it harder to convey. And this is especially for foreign markets. And this is sort of an example of that, but it's amazing how much this came across to me as someone, one thing, I am very steeped in film music and I also speak un po' d'italiano. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm studying it as a language. Uh, what's that, Greek? Question mark? No, I know it's Italian. No, no in Greek I can say four things. It's eferiso perikolothen karlevno and perisoterokrasi, which is respectively, eferiso um, is thank you, you're welcome, uh, I don't understand, and more wine. <laughs> Yeah, that's the extent of my. I, I knew that you're speaking Italian, though. Yeah, my, no, no, I, I know. My, but my Just Italian. Just for the listeners, is, I'm, I'm spe- I know that he's speaking Italian. Is more advanced, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, than that. And there is a lot of this movie that is in unsubtitled Italian, and I can oh, get really? the Oh, really? Unsubtitled? It. Yeah. Do you, think there was a, do you think it was a choice by them, or do you think it was a choice by the subtitlers? Uh, that's. In, there was no Persian subtitles visible of okay. Italian, because if this movie was made in Persian, logically there would be subtitles of the Italian spoken in Persian. There yeah. was none. There was none. Uh, do you think they did that on purpose to kind of create like a distancing effect? I don't know. Uh, it, this never seemed distant from the characters. It was actually okay. a very affectionate. It was it, not affectionate, yes, but also close. Like you saw mm-hmm. the the desirable and the undesirable qualities of them. Like Nader is more of a is a dreamer and a fantasist uh, and slightly ineffectual, while Barfa is very um, more realist. She's well, she's very goal oriented mm-hmm. and often she she gets frequently fed up with people around her not being able to keep up mm-hmm. but is her job is dealing with that so it really gotcha. does show in great detail and there's some great one scene characters there's like this old director type of guy who looks like a halfway between charles bukowski and jimmy Durante. okay what oh, okay if i keep my hair what i will look like in 40 years and mm-hmm. um, he shows up he, uh, nader comes to him for advice about their relationship and he gives this weird Sort of, men don't cry, they punch, and then cuts to a clip of Muhammad Ali in action, and then Nader just looks confused, like because he can't see that idea. Why did? Yeah. Why did you? Why, why is that relevant? I, I really don't think he's advocating hitting a woman. I, I think mm-hmm. that he's trying to like you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself. He's advocating like action, yes. basically. Um, and then another scene is uh, one thing that frequently happens in the film uh, about at least three times is there will be a song in Italian, usually a really good one. Uh, a really catchy one, and Nutter will have a imagination sequence that's basically a mini music video for it, one of which is uh, him fantasizing the song Bang Bang. I think it's the song's called Bang Bang, not the Nancy Sinatra song. It's mm-hmm. an Italian song called Bang Bang, um, uh, where he fantasizes about breaking into a restaurant and shooting a guy he th- he thinks might be Barfa's lover. Okay. Like, Polizitesci style. Like, if it, it was seen an Italian cop movie from the 70s, he would look, the sunglasses, the shotgun, he looks perfectly in character. Uh, and he has scenes like that where he's sort of... Mm-hmm. Imma- so is, is that kind of, like, part of his character that these are his little mini fantasies? Yeah, it's, it's like it's like Zach Braff from Scrubs, except I like this guy. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I, actually, I actually like J.D. Hey, I like J.D. I like J.D. earlier on. Until the show made him into a terrible person. When you're less, when when you, when you're less <laughs> tolerable, like Cox and JD slowly switched places they on became, the moral spectrum be, while they, acting the same. They morphed, which is like into each other in a way. They did. Well, I, maybe I, they rubbed off. Well, each I like Cox until the end because he was he's one of my favorite characters in fiction, Barry Cox. But like JD, I, I liked less and less because we were supposed to feel sorry for him. We're supposed to know that Cox is a jackass. Mm-hmm. He's just good at his job. With JD, we're supposed to feel sorry for him, and you lose that ability. At least Turk is cool. Turk is cool. Yes. Yeah. He was in Clueless too. 
<laughs> and he's still in braces. Anyways, uh, uh, back about to, this. Back yeah. to them. So but it, it is similar to that in, in Scrubs where he has these imagination scenes to his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're very good. This movie looks great. Uh, too. Like, there's, especially in the beginning, there's just lovely, crisp visuals. Um, this is far and away the happiest depiction of Iran I've ever seen, uh, both in its own cinema and in the various news I've taken in. I think that's um, actually, but I think that's a good choice done by the director. It's not always, you know, a morose place to live there. You know, there are people cultivating family there. There are people mm-hmm. oh, yeah. who, who love and are kind to one another. Yeah. And it's really great to show that, uh, like what you mentioned, that you you found such a humanist feeling from it. Well, yeah, and it felt like, uh, like to an extent, like Romer as well, but also really like a Hal Ashby movie, and that it was a movie about people. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was the point that it's in around, like, one issue is that Italia Italia is the title of both a film Barfuth wants to work on and a series of books that Netter wants to write about Italy. And this was a TV series when the Shah was in power. So they joke about, we'll never get that through. Because that's just a fact of life. You can't do that mm-hmm. in in current Iran. That's just something that, that won't fly. And that that small hint of reality is interesting that that's the baseline thing that they have to work with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And it never felt threatening. It never felt... This was a pretty apolitical film, at least on the surface of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I highly recommend, if you can find it, it's not playing there. Who, but was, if the, you, who was the director of it? The to, director... To, rem, to remind our audience oh, I'm of gonna, this really I, great I, I'm afraid film. I'm going to bungle the names. Like, that's the thing, like... I, I feel good about the way I'm pronouncing their names because I've heard them said, but I, I really don't want to. Uh, let me see if I can sight-read this without making an a- making a dunce of myself. Kave Shabagzadeh. Kave Shabagzadeh. Yeah, it was very good. It was, um, if you can find it, watch it. It, it was enjoyable. Um, if there's one problem for me, it was the ending, which was a little abrupt, which felt a little abrupt. It felt like there could have been a little more to it, but the movie itself was a good sit. If you want to see a good movie about people, about a relationship, then yeah, yeah, check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I saw, which I really liked, was Wilderness at Langara, mm-hmm. which was, uh, rather different. Wilderness at Langara is basically, um, uh... Equal parts, Gordon Corman's book Stars. I don't okay, know if that was I, I, man, I remember Gordon Corman back in the day, Son of the Mob, right? Um, I know him from Jake Reinvented, which mm-hmm. is his high school version of Great Gatsby. I could talk, I could talk about that one. That's actually interesting to me. But Stars was sort of about a bunch of a kid who, a carjacker who, a teenage carjacker who gets sent to this camp in the wilderness called mm-hmm. Stars for troubled kids. Like one kid's an albino who always wears sunglasses. For example, it's, it's, it was interesting. It was an interesting yeah. book in retrospect. It's equal parts that. The non-horror teen segments from Elm Street 2. Okay. And a more grounded in reality version of But I'm a Cheerleader. Very specific and very specific cobbling of different media, but I can see what you're talking about. Like, it clearly paints a picture. Seth Bockley and Anne Hamburger. Yeah. uh, Directed by Genevieve Fleming. And the the text of it uh, is... It's about a troubled teens camp in the literal wilderness, in this case, the desert in Arizona. Okay. And they get sent there for mental illness, for addiction. That sounds terrible, the desert in Arizona. Well, this is the thing. So um, starting this, I was less enraged watching this than I thought I was going to be. I I wasn't enraged at all, actually, because here's the thing. Uh, The troubled teens industry is something that fills me with anger the the second I hear about it. Why? Okay, so in this, they do portray this. Uh, Very frequently, what these things will do is, one, they market themselves like, if you can't handle your kids, we'll take them off your hands. And then they literally abduct people's children because they have people come in, basically black bag them, put them on a plane, send them to the middle of the wilderness in Arizona. And I, I am going to say this, the troubled teens industry is a also a horrific fountain of abuse because it's their word against whosoever word. And by going there, a lot of the time their point is invalidated. And also people go there who are severely Damaged people, usually. Mm-hmm. And there's also the unfortunate connection with conversion therapy, mm-hmm. gay conversion therapy, a.k.a. what Mike Pence thinks is a reasonable health care initiative. Um, that's what but, I'm, what, what but I'm a Cheerleader is about. Yep, yep, I remember uh, that. But I'm a Cheerleader is more benign about it. It's actually a very sunny version of <laughs> conversion therapy, which is Pavlovian conditioning for sexuality. But mm-hmm. uh, this was not necessarily, this wasn't about conversion therapy at all. Yep. It's basically one about of these. addiction. 
right? Somewhat, yes, but also mental illness is a factor. Like, one kid has severe anger management issues because, mostly because his father's a, a, a terrible D-bag. human being. Yeah. Uh, he's a little, his father's a little rapist. Another guy is an addict. And the acting, Langara is, has always impressed me because their set design, especially the video, there's a video design in the back for yeah. the various things, is always top-notch. And the performances, all of it seems, because the studio space is small, mm-hmm. it seems ba- like a two-thirds version of, in scale, of a production of a professional version. Langara has put on more professional, this seemed more professional than The Ridiculous Darkness. Really? It did. Well, actually, mm-hmm. The Ridiculous Darkness, I talked about it last show, I was not impressed with that in many capacities. But this was cohesive, and unlike mm-hmm. The Ridiculous Darkness, the musical interludes in this made sense according to the plot. Oh, great. There was a lot of acoustic <laughs> guitar. There was a Western swing cover of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 acoustic guitar, fiddle, and uh, a drum. Did that kind of work with the, the feeling of Arizona? Yes, it did. Yeah, I, 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 I there was expect a, that. Uh, there was... Uh, I nearly came to tears when Famous Blue Raincoat came around. Oh, that's, that's just nice. Uh, well, that's just a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And these songs, some of them were specified in the script, but Owen said it's got to be a folk song about loneliness. I'm like, you got a lot to pick from there. <laughs> um, and uh, like the thing about this that I liked the most is that this thing did a very accurate job of showing all sides of it. The people in right. the camp yeah. were not portrayed as exploitive. This was point was raised that they could very well be, but the counselors were portrayed as generally well-meaning people, mm-hmm. many of whom had formerly gone through these problems themselves. One of the kids at the end becomes one. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. At the end, they show the different ways it can go. Uh, one, yeah. uh, this trans kid actually joins the Marines for a sense of companionship. Not sure that's a good move in this current climate, but that's a, actually a frequent thing is the uh, military officer's sense of companionship. Another becomes a counselor, mm-hmm. which is another thing that happens on the upside. One kid, the kid with anger management issues, Michael, he's living it up in Krakow. He's traveling the world. He actually seems happy. And one other gets addicted to Oxycontin and ends up sleeping on the porch. This happens. Because mm-hmm. the thing about mental illness, and they, this is a very good, very, very good. Do you think it was well-researched in the topic of mental illness and how people I know people like this mm-hmm. I know people who've had very similar stories to this and uh, the thing about that is that this is a deeply empathetic very clear play about what they know and what they do not know mm-hmm. and what can be conveyed on stage and the text benefited from that but also the acting in this play was goddamn amazing mm-hmm. uh in particular there's a very good in action uh, one kid who has uh addiction issues uh i, I uh, the names uh, i believe it was uh i believe cole cole was the character's name mm-hmm. uh there's a he take because he was drunk and a stoner right but he'd take ambien to sleep so he got really drunk and he took an ambien to sleep mm-hmm. and then this actor playing him um nolan mcconnell fiddick Sorry, the bang- bungled your last name there, sir. I really liked your performance. Um, did this incredible, like, because benzodiazepines and alcohol will kill you. Yeah. They're, they're very bad combination. Don't mix it. Um, and because and his the character bursts into his little sister's room at mm-hmm. the time. He's telling the story, gasping because he's afraid he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And the, the horror of watching that is vivid. It, it, it's there. Um and I would say that the way it conveyed the stories, like the stories of the parents, too, because throughout, some of the parents couldn't relate to their kids, but most of them were like, they can't. Because there's a certain point, you know, especially with teenage kids. I mean, my relationship with my parents was really transparent because that was the most social contact I, I, I really got. My, my parents were great. But mm-hmm. sometimes, it go, a lot of the times, it goes the other way. And it's it's hard to communicate with one's kids and with one's parents, respectively. And it showed that when that contact isn't there, it's so hard to relate. Mm-hmm. And that g- gulf of communication leads to the misunderstanding that has to have them sent to the wilderness. And the interesting thing about this, they never referenced this, and I'm really wondering if this was in the original play, but um, the the rationale behind the troubled teens industry, or at least camps like this on its most positive, is rooted, in my opinion, in an idea that's really central to early Christian philosophy, which is also the connection to uh, things like AA. And this is brought up explicitly, not the connection to Christian philosophy, but the, this following statement. Suffering mm-hmm. is essential to clarity. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. That when you suffer, it's kind of like, you know, it's because you're further away from God. That's why you suffer, right? Or, or that suffering brings you closer to more God. into awareness of who you are and therefore to God. Like St. Anthony is a frequent example of that. Mm-hmm. Augustine's uh, doubt, 
uh, would be a less clear example in this case, but uh, and that is frequently, ironically, came up a lot when Jigsaw came out. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the Jigsaw killer is motivated by a similar thing, except uh, <laughs> the saw. saw movies make me sick. So, yeah. um, the uh, this this was much better <laughs> than any of the Saw movies. Um, the thing about this is that they explicitly state that you will come out a different person from other people who have not suffered and who mm-hmm. have not. And the subtext of that is that you can either do this for people who have never gone through suffering or people who are going through the suffering and don't change, mm-hmm. which is the explicit connection uh, to those who go through addiction services like AA. You have to change because there's a rock bottom, because there's a point where the suffering is too much and must be stopped. Mm-hmm. And that it, the fact that this conveyed that without being didactic and without being set, without glorifying, without fetishizing the pain. Yeah. Because yeah. this, again, the acting in this really was top notch on all sides in that it showed the gulf of communication that leads to this becoming what it is. Mm-hmm. It was a very good production. Uh, check it out. It is running at Langara until December 3rd. Um, yeah, at Studio 58. Definitely, you got my. Uh, you got my okay on that one. It was... Yeah, it, it sounds like a really um, strong and well written and well acted uh, play, especially it, on like a topic that can go south. So it's fast. moving. It's an excellent. It's an excellent drama. It mm-hmm. really is. It's um, the, and I I I think drama is the easiest form to write, but the hardest to do well because it is the easiest form to write. Mm-hmm. So uh, this in particular, or at least originally, and this did that to me. This worked very well. All right, great. If if you also if you'd all like guitar, you'll probably really appreciate the amount of effort put in here. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of great uh, stuff um, happening. We'll talk more after these few messages. Yeah. Just so people know, we are still doing that great giveaway to uh, to seasons. If you are interested in that, a, a wonderful show of performance magic. It will. Uh, you can give us a call. It's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Forty years ago, the Penderguy program helped Chinese Canadians and Asian Canadians discover and create community radio. Join CITR and Discorder in celebrating the very first English language radio program created in Canada about Chinese Canadian community on Friday, November 24th from 7 to 9 p.m. at Access Gallery in Chinatown. Check out the Facebook event or go to citr.ca for more information. You might want to clear your calendar for the 25th of November. Why is that? Because the UBC Africa Awareness Initiative are hosting the most anticipated dance party of the year. Dioko. Dioko? What's that? Dioko is going to be a night full of Afrobeat, dancehall, soca, kueto, and hip-hop. It's going to be from 9pm to 1am at Kerner's Pub at UBC. But where can I get my tickets? Check out our website, uh, ubcai.org, or Facebook, UBC African Awareness Initiative, for ticket information. Just a little sodium chloride. Actually, dude, it's salt. That's what I said, sodium chloride. Discorder, that salty mag from CITR, is back with a stunning November issue. This month has an op-ed on the revitalization of Hogan's Alley, features Gamelan Bike Bike, shines a spotlight on Youth for Chinese Seniors, and reviews Mitch Cotta's new album in the debut of Unseated, a new column dedicated to highlighting Indigenous voices and experiences. And an extra special thank you to our advertisers, Tambor Concerts, The Rickshaw, The Rio Theatre, The Cinematheque, and Mint Records. The issue is jam-packed with your views and news, so pick up your copy of Discorder from one of our over 100 distribution locations all around Vancouver, or read online at discorder.ca. Uh, dude, that would be solved. All right, welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark, and... Thank Lord Almighty that someone actually listens to our show. <laughs> joking, joking. <laughs> Hi there. You're on air. Can you uh, tell us about yourself and what you're calling in for? Hi. Um, my name is Jessica Kim. I'm um, calling in for the ticket giveaway for the season. That's right. right. We are. Thank you so much for listening to our show, Jessica. You have won yourself a pair. Is that right? Yep. A pair mm. of tickets to seasons. Hopefully, Not you... an apple. 
Not a pineapple, a no. pear. No. <laughs> That's right. People will ironically probably pelt me with fruit for that joke. Anyway, uh, you, and a, you and a friend, maybe a loved one, maybe family member, whoever you choose, will go see Seasons. A wonderful show. We had an interview with Wendy and Rod not too long ago. Thank you so much for listening to our show. It is on November 25th at 8 p.m. Yep. At the center. 777 Homer Street. And you are going. So... Well, before we give you the tickets, though, we want to ask you, what is your favorite season and or what are your feelings on Vivaldi? Actually, let's just do your favorite season. <laughs> um, I'll have to say winter because one knows that I was born in the summer, so I'm not sure. But I think winter is when hey, with same. all the same. warm food. And... Same, same here. I'm a June baby. I like the cold. <laughs> oh, my God, Jake. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for listening to our show. You will uh, actually get your uh, pair of tickets. And what you can do is you can uh, email us at arts at A-R-T-S at C-A-T-R dot C-A. Let us know. Uh, and uh, we'll get the tickets that away to you. Thank you so much for listening to us. Oh, thank you. All right. And we'll be in touch. I just got to catch you up now. All right. I'm so happy that we were able to uh, get uh, one of our listeners to go to the show. That's awesome. That is, that is amazing. Someone actually listens to us. That blows my marbles, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile, my mom and dad are like, someone listens to him? Wow. Anyway, we have another show that <gasps> yeah. we want to talk about. Hopefully, you know, people listen to our opinions about that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the show? We are talking about Before We Go. UBC Musical Theater Troops production for this semester. This is actually an original musical written by uh, Sebastian Cole Mendoza with a song by William Beltran. And it's half jukebox musical, half original musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, it was kind of a blast uh, with one slightly problematic element. And we'll, we'll get to that later, but I, I kind of want to say how much I enjoyed this. because this. So I saw this right after Wilderness. And Wilderness was a very good drama with occasional comedic moments. Okay. Uh, because they would they would occasionally note the absurdity of what was going on. Now, in Before We Go, Before We Go, we mentioned this earlier, is a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. It is a, a, in the somewhat awkward interview last episode, we mentioned that it is a comedy about a hospice, which is a home for the dying. And, like, uh, this is a peppy sort of, it is an uh, old school Broadway musical. And the songs often have this air of dissonant cheer about them. There's a literal rim shot at one point uh, with uh, with the drums, which was <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, the uh, there's several the songs. The plot of it is, as to recap, this choir forms at a hospice uh, to help save it. And there were some. The, the generally, I liked all of the performances in it, but there were four standouts for me. There's a, so the choir is arranged by um, Grace DeWitt, who is, is stays in. She has breast cancer, and she's played by Emily Henderson, and mm-hmm. she is a delight. She's a very dynamic. There's a, everyone was enjoying themselves a lot, and she, uh, she was really enjoying herself there. Um, and it, it, she's got. She was actually in the Twenty Four Hour Musical when I was Rasputin. She was Anastasia. Okay. She's got a beautiful voice, and it was kind of interesting to see her character doing the arranging for the choir, because I could I could kind of imagine like wrong, wrong, wrong. Her, her character just does these uh, draconian criticisms mm-hmm. of the the choir, which is delightful. Um, and uh, on the other end of that, there was. Um, Lizzie, who is played by the delightfully alliterative Carolyn Casanelli, and her character is a uh, a young woman who has uh, AIDS, and uh, that's it, she shouldn't be in a hospice. That that was my one issue with that, and I will come back to that. Okay. But her character, the story is she has a very sad story, and um, she has this. Uh, she also has some very good songs to her name, just sort of this um, uh, Emmy Lou Harris like soprano voice, v- very nice. Um, and uh, the uh, the character who I like, I, there was one part where I was like, I want to play this guy so badly. Is uh, Elliot Spilsbury as Frank, who runs the home, and his father Kevin is staying there. And uh, Frank is, uh, shall we say, delightfully scummy throughout. He's okay. addicted to booze and pills. He does a series of hustles to try and make money off the residents. Like he prints off 
but basically he does but the hustles are kind of ridiculous like like putting brown dye in the toilet water to make it seem like there's liver failure so we can sell medication for it yeah like not a nice guy well actually he's about on par with most representatives of big pharma companies okay actually no he's got the one up on most of them but there's a really interesting arc with him it's a small one but it's there about how you end up becoming your dad which is something that feels very real to me and um it's very interesting in context of the story uh, and uh, he uh, he really he was really he was really enjoying getting to play uh, this this sort of honestly exploitation film care in any other the, the only other place I could see this character is in an exploitation film <laughs> as as a guy who like or, or actually come to think of it the in Elm Street three. <laughs> Oh, okay. There's a similar character in the asylum, but um, uh, the the standout here, and this was a really amazing performance. This is an ama- This show was very good. This performance would have been a standout performance in this show in a professional show. This would have been a standout performance in film as well. Was um, oh Jesus, my notes. Why do I? I should really learn how to write cursive or something. This is embarrassing. Eric Patterson as uh, James, who's a very uh, uh, old, much older fellow is a, is a veteran, uh, of which war he can't quite remember. Uh, and this guy looks like Paul Rudd. And they age him up in this movie that I legitimately wondered, did they actually get a 60-year-old man and just put a little more white in his hair to make him look 80? Like, it's just, it, it, I was also a little far back and for what it's worth. So, okay. you know, there was, but there was like, it was amazing. Like he's got the frail quaver in his voice. Like I've played an old man. My performance would have been the equivalent of a sock puppet. With comparing my performance to this guy, would have been like comparing a sock puppet to Daniel Day Lewis. Like it's like one of those things where I was really impressed by the amount of work and the amount. Of, he's got really good comic timing too. Mm-hmm. The character has some very good lines, and he's really. The song this is built around is about him, which is "It's a Shame," uh, and that was a song Sebastian wrote first, and it's a. Uh, it's a good song. And uh, I'm about to say one problem, the one major problem there was okay. uh, with this. But before I do that, I do want to say it is worth seeing. Uh, it is very much worth seeing. MTT went all out on this one, and I am super psyched for Heather's next year because I, I, I refute that. I love that show. And this, uh, this, uh, so this, this actually wrapped up uh, on Sunday. But stay tuned for MTT because the 24-hour musical will be at the start of next semester, probably in the last week of the first month, last week of January. And Heather's will be coming up as well, both of which are events to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Now, the one problem with this, um, one structural problem was the character of Lizzie. Because, um, so uh, Lizzie is in her early 30s at most. Okay. And she is AIDS. Uh and she got them from her boyfriend, who is played by Ben Baudas. He shows up at the end and kind of steals it a little bit because that's another character who should be in an exploitation film, like this skeevy sort of car mechanic, just wearing this weirdly fitting motorcycle jacket. Like, like Ben's really good at um, at at these character sort of character parts, and it was like I was like, <laughs> that's that's kind of perfect. Like he kind of stole the scene at the end, um, but. Uh, so what the problem was with this character was that uh, AIDS is no longer a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been for a substantial stretch of time. It's at least there's still a, I, I think there's still a bit of stigma about AIDS, especially. Oh, there's a huge stigma because yeah. it's like. Especially in the LGBTQ community. Like, for example, there is a lot of like, you know, awareness that people want to do like, you know. Uh, about AIDS. Did you hear about the story about this like one guy who purposely tried to give um, HIV to people? Like he yeah. did it on purpose. Like yeah, it was in the UK there, or something. There was one guy who got tried with um, manslaughter for after realizing he was going to die of AIDS. This was in the nineties. He had sex with about twenty different prostitutes because he knew he was going to die. So he figured who gives it, who who gives. And the thing was, what are you going to do to this guy? He's going to die. Uh, he died in prison for mm-hmm. for that because. T- that was a terrible thing to do. Um, but the thing about this is that uh, – the thing about now is that if you have AIDS, you won't be in a hospice. If you're in your 20s and you contract HIV, it won't kill you if you take the medicine. It's mm-hmm. similar to leprosy in that regard. If you get leprosy, you can't cure it, but you can take medication indefinitely to suppress it. 
And HIV, unlike leprosy, both HIV and leprosy will eventually. Actually, leprosy technically won't eventually kill you, but HIV will, because mm-hmm. as you get older, your system will immunosuppress and eventually fight the medication. But in your 20s, like, you'll have at least, if you keep taking the medicine and you're in reasonably good health, then you will have a, a, a few decades of healthy life, assuming, like, it, it's an added burden on top of that. Yeah. And you will have years taken off your life, a good stretch of them, but... You won't be in a hospice. You won't be in a dying in home. You can live if if you take accounts protection. You can have another partner. You just have to be honest about that because this is a it is a disease, but it's it's not something that cripples you. And it's not at this point, especially with they explicitly reference the Canadian healthcare system that her boyfriend is outside of. So he's going to die if he's mm-hmm. outside of the healthcare okay. system. It'll still kill you if you don't medicate for it, and it'll kill you in a pretty brutal way, for which y- this character is a complete scumbag. You're not shedding any tears for him, but. If you take treatment, if you're in the healthcare system, which in, if you're in a hospice, you're somehow involved in the healthcare system, uh, you will, should be able to get medicine. And that's it. I, like, as the son of a doctor, and it, I actually didn't really pick up on this during. Okay. Because this, it, the, this, it flows very well. The, the play, the, the, the play, well, the, the pacing is interesting, but the, the characters flow very well, scene to scene. You don't really question it, but then I, I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, wait a second. And then a, a friend of mine pointed out, because a friend of mine pointed out this to me, and I thought, yeah, it's on a death sentence. And that's fairly easy to find out, too. Mm-hmm. Like, with something like Dallas Buyers Club around, like, like uh, when Rent was made, for example, because, like, the thing about Rent is that Rent is a movie that has some serious issues. It is a period piece, and it's a period piece at the time when AIDS was a death sentence, and the medication to treat AIDS was the death sentence because it's, it's the equivalent of undergoing very slow chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, no, we're not living in that world right now. It's a different set of medication. Uh, so that was a slight, that was a, a prop. that was really the only major problem I had with this. It was still a, bl- it was like, because it, it was a blast. It was that one little thing. And I wonder if that would be as, I'm not even if I wasn't the son of a doctor. Okay. But it was, it was that little thing. It, it, it brought you out of it. Uh, only afterwards, I want to stress that I only, this was pointed out to me. Okay. Afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was sort of the, the thing. It's, it's, that was, it was a little inaccuracy. Um, but yes, other than that, like it's, it's a very good dark comedy that takes some seriously dislikable characters and delivers them. Cause like never once do you find these characters insufferable, at least to me, even Frank, who is a character who would die in normally in a slasher film is the guy you're like. Okay, this guy needs to get drilled now. I'm thinking of Driller Killer, so literally in that case. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I just I just watched the second Driller Killer movie the other the the um, uh, Slumber Party Massacre movie the other day, which is basically Driller Killer meets Nightmare on Elm Street and Eddie and the Cruisers. I don't know, uh, but the like the and they they do seriously they flesh out that character it starts the second act actually so yeah i'd say like the, the lesson for this shockingly enough patronize mtt they're great they're awesome they're part of the ubc community and they make great content yeah i think that about wraps up the show mm-hmm. right Anything else we can pick on? Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about Italia. Italia, by the way. Got it. Yeah. Like, the, the thing about the references, I I forgot to say this. I was amazed by how many American references were in that. And this kind of ties into what we're saying about the wilderness as well with good dramas. Because there's references to Tennessee Williams. There's a long reference to the Cat on a Hot Tin Roof movie with Paul Newman. Which is a reference I get because I own that movie on DVD. And I've seen it multiple times because I love Burl Ives. But... And Paul Newman. Elizabeth Taylor I like too. Generally, just the movie. And, and, and Tennessee Williams. But... Like, generally just the movie, like, that was something that reminded me, like, wow, like, I haven't seen a drama I found relatable in a long time. And then, like, something like The Wilderness comes along, I'm like, good timing. Pretty good, yeah. So I had, I had a pretty good week at the theater so far. Uh, and for next week, we're going to be seeing Almost Made at the Pacific and, uh, of course, uh, Seasons. We're going to come back to you with that. Yeah, we are. Thank you so much for listening to our show Hope you, hope you guys have a good week. I know right now it's uh, going to be exam season soon. But, yeah. You know, take yeah, it easy. Take it easy. Find a creative outlet. And we are the Arts Report. Uh, I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ashley Park. Cheers. What What is CI Tower's reputation, being that it's been around for so long? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's very active in the community because it's run by 
community members and uh, UBC students, obviously. Whether you're into radio as a hobby or whether you want to get some uh, real-world experience, it's a great place to go. It's like a very open and creative environment. Everybody that's you know working here seems really jazzed about what they what they're doing at the station. Just lots of really like good, like challenging music and spoken word content. It's a it's a great station. CIT 